Hello and welcome back to Behind the Pros. It's a theatre podcast all about the real lives of the people who make it. Series 2, episode 13 stars the incredible Mike Mentz. Now this podcast is definitely worth the wait. I'm in conversation with Mike who is sheltered in place in Northbrook, Illinois, which is not too far from Chicago for all of you Brits listening. This man I describe in three words, a musician, a romantic He is also a gentleman. We talk childhood, composing, barbershop quartet, music, working and living at sea. I introduce Mike to the idea of Desert Island Discs, his main inspirations for his art, as well as just a good old life chat you do not want to miss. Now, Mike has a whole load of new material being released online over the next two and a half years. What an incredible plan. You can search for Mike Mentz, Mentz spelled M-E-N-T-Z, on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Prime Music, or stay tuned to the end of this podcast for all of the ways that you can find Mike on the web. He's also got a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Mike Mentz. Now, this was recorded uh, last month. At the time of recording, it's uh, June 2020, and we spoke in May 2020, and uh, it really was great fun having a chat. Enjoy. Obviously, in the UK, we all have to stay in our houses, and that's it. Uh, how are you in Chicago right now? I am. I'm just outside. Um, a little town called Northbrook, Illinois. It's like 20 minutes uh, north of Chicago. And uh, what are the uh, restrictions in place for you there? Um, you know, it's, it's not, um, it's kind of hard to say it's, it's like a shelter in place, kind of a situation. They're starting to lift those restrictions a little bit, which is probably a little premature, but they're, they're going forward anyway, I guess. Um, I think, uh, in general, there are a lot of, there was a restaurant closure and uh, kind of a lot of public place closure downtown. So a lot of the parks got closed, things like that. Um, they're starting to kind of little by little, let those come back in. Um, but for now, everyone is still mostly staying at home um, and really leaving just to go to the grocery store, mm. things like that. Um, but we'll see how quickly it comes back. It's kind of hard to say. Yeah. Do you feel like it has um, stifled your creativity or do you feel like uh, you're getting more done? It's a great question. Um, for me, I'm at a weird place. So I, I spent the last like four years making a ton of stuff. Um, and now I, I feel like what this has given me, I travel so much. I mean, you, you know, yeah. how that goes that a lot of the time is in transit and there's a lot of, um, shows being played and, and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's hard. It's been hard for me to wrangle all the things that I've made into a cohesive plan for releasing all of it. Like I, I'm sitting on now three full albums I'm sitting on uh, 20 music videos, things like that, that have already been created. But because I didn't have a really time to like breathe and decide how I wanted to put that out of the world. And even when I did decide, I didn't have time to put those pieces in place. This is um, instead of a, a creative renaissance for me, this is actually like a logistical renaissance for me. So I've been just sort of staring at a screen for six weeks, just getting all that stuff done that needs to get done um, and not feeling like I'm, I'm, um, you know, being a hermit. Everyone's being a hermit. So <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's kind of, it's okay um, from a work perspective for me. I, I, I'm, I have all my shows have vanished, so that's not good. But at the same time, all of this stuff is getting done. So that, that part is, is okay. Let's let's talk about your musical beginnings because I'm I'm really interested to hear and I've listened to quite sure. a, a lot of your material both live and online um, and I'm interested to know where that kind of uh, musical beginning and that realization that it was something that you you cared deeply about where did it all start? That's a great question. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I always even when I was I was little, I would you know I would sing around the house when we would like know clean the house and stuff we'd put music <laughs> on and blast it throughout the whole the whole the whole house and um you know everything from from broadway musicals that my my mom was into to um 
my family's Irish mostly. So we would, you know, have old like Irish revolution songs <laughs> blasting throughout the, throughout the house. Like I, I come from a very weird background of music. We'd always play like, um, like oldies in the car. So like old rock and roll from the fifties and sixties. Um, so I'm really rooted. Everything I do is rooted in, in, in melody more than anything. That's where my songs come from. It's just a really strong melody. Um, and all of those styles of music are like hardcore melody. So um, probably came from a, a mixture of doing that kind of, I didn't really do anything organized until about high school. I was about maybe 15. Um, and I started singing in choir and I got really, really lucky um, in high school. I had that my high school was a an incredible music program. I just went to a public high school. I just got really lucky. Um, there was no like special conservatory or anything. It was just really great music teachers and uh, a really strong tradition of of like excellence in music. So I, I basically got really lucky in that, and then I got doubly lucky because uh, I was taking a, a set of classes in high school that. Um, made my schedule really difficult to move around. Um, and so when I wanted to do choir, I had one, basically one choir I could be in at all. It was either right. be in this choir or don't do it at all. And the choir was the best choir in school. So I went from like knowing nothing to be, being surrounded by people who had been doing this for two, three years. <laughs> and I, I got allowed into this choir, especially because it was, it fit my schedule. And then I auditioned and they were like, okay, you have a pretty good voice. Like, you're just gonna have to work really hard to catch up. Um, so I was through a, a mixture of like excitement, but mostly fear um, for being the idiot in the room. Um, <laughs> I had to work really, really hard to learn how to read music and learn uh, what I was doing to try to not make a fool of myself in front of uh, the cool people that I thought were cool. <laughs> Are there um, uh, are there specific individuals who who taught you like sp uh, special teachers who you you will always be thankful for finding? Yeah. yeah, and really that's that's um that has continued through most of my life um which has been amazing. I mean my first really solid music teacher was um was a lady named Judy Mo who was my uh choir teacher in high school. Um and when I started um, I also had a voice teacher who sang and continues to sing to this day um, in the Chicago Lyric Opera. Um, so he was amazing because he, he he didn't teach me in a way where it was like, you have to sing like me, you have to sing opera. He gave me the building blocks, but allowed me to do whatever I wanted with my voice, um, which was always kind of more of a pop thing for me. Hmm. Um, so he, he was he gave me a really good, strong foundation. Um, and between those two, I went on and, and then did a lot on my own in college. Um, and then after that, the, perhaps the, the most um, profound teacher for me was a lady named Laurie White. Um, and she taught me more uh, from a songwriting angle. Right. Um, she was a, a mentor of mine and a very good friend of mine. Um, and she won three Grammys and she's, she was incredible. Had She just passed away about a year and a half ago. Um, but um, she taught me a lot, a lot. Um, so I'll, I'll be grateful for all my teachers forever. Would you, uh, would you say you're more comfortable in the studio or in front of an audience? Because, you know, sometimes it takes a while to find that confidence. We I have a lot of theater people on the podcast who, who kind of found being in the theater an escape from real life. Now, yeah. I I see it a little bit like that, but I also see when I'm writing, it's a it's a good form of escape as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think anything that you do creatively can be an escape. For me, it it, it the way I started looking at everything, everything started clicking a little more when I started looking at it this way. And and the way that I look at it is if I'm not having fun, then I'm doing it wrong. Um, so whether I'm stepping on stage or I'm stepping on like in front of a microphone in studio, if I'm nervous and self-conscious and, and any, any of that energy that I bring into that situation, that gets translated so effortlessly and, and impossibly to an audience. Um, so what I try to do is have the same mentality, no matter what I'm about to do. If I'm, if I open my, my mouth and I want to make sounds and, and, and do a certain thing, the first thing I have to do is just put myself in a place where no matter where I am, I am having a good time. 
Um, so to me, in that sense, it's, they're all very similar. It's just a matter of what you're trying to do. Um, but, you know, I always love making an audience happy, but first I have to make myself happy in order to be able to make them happy. Um, so whether your, your listener is hearing a recording later on, they're going to hear that in your voice or whether they're right in front of you, they're going to hear that in your voice and, and, and watch you, you know, watch your body language and all those things. So I try to just be in my own space, having fun, making music, and then kind of sending that out to, to whoever is the audience intended audience. Is there a, a certain routine to uh, the way that you write? Is there a certain part of the house or do you find that it's something that comes easier to you when you're traveling or is there no pattern at all and it just can come to you in an instant? Um, I've only written a few songs in my life that, that, I, that I've written in, in a day or less, like in, in 24 hour period. Most of what I write comes in fits and spurts and then I'll play with something for a while and then hate it and put it away and then take it out another day and be like, Oh, this makes sense to me now. Okay, great. Um, most of what I've written comes from traveling. Um, I would say half of the songs I've written come from actually being in transit while I'm writing. And then half of them come from taking those experiences and then sequestering myself in a particular place and not letting the door open until I'm done. Right. Um, so uh, I find that writing while traveling is actually really helpful in that you, if you can cut yourself off from a constant internet connection and all of the distractions of daily life um, by throwing yourself into sort of organized chaos um, <laughs> where you don't have all of those normal interruptions, their interruptions are everywhere. So you can kind of tune everything out um, and just kind of surrender to being in the flow of the world um, without checking your phone every five minutes, then I find like I can write from a place that's more honest um, and more um, relaxed and, and, and sort of without agenda. Hmm. Um, so I, I like doing both. And I, I think that keeping the balance of, of doing both and not doing one all the time um, is, is really is useful for me. I guess that leads me on to my next question. I went through a, a period about four or five years where I physically, well, I guess it's a mental thing. I couldn't sit down and write. I, I got a total block. I, I, I lost that. Uh, when people say you need to be free of your inhibitions and just write, just write something down. I couldn't find that for a while. Do you have any advice for somebody who may be at the stage of wanting to write something down, but just there is, there's something missing. Yeah. Um, I think the best advice I can give you is, is, is that that is, that is part of it. So like that feeling, we have a tendency to be like, well, I'm feeling that and therefore I am a terrible writer or I, I feel that and therefore I'm not doing this. You are just by feeling that you didn't feel that a second ago, right? So you're feeling that resistance and that resistance is part of it. You have to find your way through that resistance. True. But you can't find your way through it until you hit it, right? So you've just got to kind of embrace that that is part of the writing process. I can't tell you how many hours of of my life I've spent just staring at a blank page <laughs> or even worse, staring at like a page that's halfway done that I know is good and just I have no idea where to go with it or I, everything I try is terrible. And I will literally do that over and over and over and over and over and over for like weeks at a time i will stare at the same set of words and i will not have the answer right and i've been doing this a while and and furthermore i know that grammy winning writers and and uh, not that that is necessarily necessarily the gold standard but that just means they've been doing it long enough and doing it enough where you know they're, they're not noobs they're they've been doing it a while um those people experience the exact same thing it's okay like that's all part of writing and and it's a frustrating part of writing, um, but you're also likely going to have at least one period where you can't find enough paper, right? It's just all of it comes out. And it's sometimes that's a jumble, and then your, your job is making sense of all of that. Um, but 
you know, whether it's one or the other, that's, that's part of it. Absolutely. Um, so don't, don't feel bad about that, I guess, is my, 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 uh, my best advice. Talk to me about how you went from being enthused at, at high school in, in getting into the industry to, to actually being in it. What was, yeah. how did you, um, what was the moment where you realized that actually I could make a living from it, even if it's not a massive living all the time, I could, I could make something of this. What was the jumping point for you? Well, I'll tell you when I have that figured out. <laughs> um, as, a, as, a, as I sit here with eight months of my, my work that I had lined up just yeah, vanishing. Yeah, true. Um, but no, the, the, uh, the, you know, I, I, I think I come from a weird, uh, mentality with all this. I never wanted to do this. Um, I never wanted, I guess I shouldn't say I never wanted to, I would let, I was always, you know, kind of thinking, well, that'd be really cool. But at the same time, I was so scared of it that I, I really just never took it seriously, yeah. um, as a, as an actual job that I would be happy doing because of the inherent, there's just so much uh, unknown in it, right? There's so much like it's gig to gig. It always is. Mm. Um, there's no job security there. Nope. If you get hurt, you're done. If you, you know, there, it's just, there's so many elements of it that are unpredictable. Um, and when I was in high school, uh, you know, I, I didn't like unpredictable. I, I wanted to figure it out. I wanted, I wanted an answer and I wanted, uh, to plan things out and know exactly how it was going to go and set myself up for success. Right. Um, for me, it was very incremental. It was very, you know, here's an opportunity. Do you want to go try this? Yeah. Okay. And that was started with choir. And then it was, I saw this acapella group that was at my, at my high school that I really wanted to be in. So I worked really hard and I got into that. And then, uh, I was in a special choir in my school. Like I worked hard to get into that. And then in high school, I missed acapella so much or in college, I missed acapella so much. I started my own group in college and and that was always just for fun right like it was always on the side um and then after college i was i was i was um was working in an office and you know just doing some filing um very low level stuff um and i just for the first time in in life i understood what it meant to have a an income that was more or less guaranteed. And I understood what that meant. And, and I could see that if I stayed in this particular job for 30 years, I would be making X amount of money, everything would be fine. And I would have that path that that I always thought I, I wanted, which was this guaranteed predictable thing. Mm. And as soon as I felt that really felt that not just thought about it, but really felt okay, this is here now. I, I was absolutely get me out of here i hate this so much <laughs> because all i wanted to do was then go on an adventure and go somewhere i didn't know anything and it was this wave of just like oh no uh how old were you at the time i was 22 i think right. 23 and and what happened was three months into that job um, I got a call out of the blue from an old friend of mine uh, who I had sung with in my acapella group in high school. Yeah. His brother was an agent who was putting together acapella groups to sing on cruise ships. Right. So uh, it was a, he was looking for uh, a, the last guy of a four-man group. Um, and he was like, it starts in November. It was like late September. So I was like, you know, you're going to have to quit your job and then jump on a cruise ship for six months with three guys you don't know and you have six days of rehearsal in new york style wow. you know, 31st it's like all right um so i thought about it and then i was like yeah let's do it and from there it, it's just been this reflex of like every opportunity if it's interesting enough to me um i just kind of trust in my ability to handle the unpredictableness and to figure it out you know and at the end of the day i always feel like i can go and do something else if i want to do that but at each step incrementally it's just been the same let's do this come on yeah uh feeling you know 
I think that's, uh, it's really interesting to hear. And I think the one thing that I can already gather from you is that there's always been an element of, of being self-driven to it all. And I guess that's an important thing to have as a musician and a performer as well, because like you say, you know, nothing's going to get written unless you write something down. And the same token, no one would have set that a cappella group up for you at college if you hadn't have done it. And um, it's, it's crazy how um, one chance meeting or one chance phone call can totally turn the tide. I, I can imagine that you probably saw yourself getting greyer and greyer in this office job and then a call comes in for you. So um, how much would you say that luck or uh, uh, circumstance has been important to your journey so far? An incredible amount. Yeah. Um, the, the world is a weird place. Uh, you, you, you go through it, you do your best. And a lot of things, you, you happen to a lot of things and a lot of people and a lot of people and things happen to you. Um, so it's really just a matter of, you know, each opportunity letting how you see the world drive your decision-making as opposed to letting the world tell you what you're supposed to do. Um, and I think that ultimately comes down to love or fear. Every conversation, every decision comes down to love or fear. Are you going to be driven by what you're afraid of, or are you going to be driven by uh, a, a love fueled version of life? Um, and, and for me, that has meant, I'm not saying that, that everyone would make the same decisions. It's just, uh, for me, that meant taking chances and, uh, being swimming in, in the risky, I don't know how this is going to go and I'll figure it out. That's more fun for me. Um, and I, um, I, as a songwriter, we're a bunch of weirdos. We just watch people, right? Like we just watch people, how they operate. And we sit back in a cafe and, you know, drink something and just watch two people in love or watch two people argue or, you know, watch people walk by. And it's always just half the, half the game, if not most of the game is just observing people and, and, and then turning that into a story or turning that into a, a melody or just listening listening for what that sounds like to you. Mm. Um, and I think if, if you like doing that, like I liked doing that, that's where all of this came from was, was just, that's music. I like doing that. I'm going to do that anyways. And now I have an opportunity to get paid to do it. I'll try that. Sure. Yeah. I think it's when you were saying it's about looking again, very similar to the theater world. It's that idea of understanding other human behavior and um, it, the fine totally. details of it, I think are the, the important thing. It's like, I, I always remember as a theater major, it's things like Sondheim, his, his questions are not just why, uh, if you see two people having an argument, there are so many questions that you can ask about that argument. Absolutely. And yeah. um, I think that's where the magic is. So you, uh, and you move questions. To... You're, you're, you're exactly right. And those questions are, are universal, right? Yeah. A lot of those questions we ask ourselves and we have that inner, inner dialogue with ourselves is we don't realize everybody does that. Everybody does that. Yeah. And that's what Sondheim's such a genius is like the way, the way those things are laid out, not only is the wordplay and the, and the, and the vocabulary and melody and the chord structure, like everything is incredible, but even just the ideas are like all of that insecurity that his characters have. And like all of those, those, um, those questions that are asked um, from on I mean, take, um, you know, into the woods, for example, like yeah. you, you have all of those different characters that are all worried about something. None of those characters are happy, right? None of them. They're all terribly worried about something and they all are, are like running around each other, worried about different things and all influencing each other. And like, that is the world. It's, it's, <laughs> it it's amazing. Everybody feels that from their own perspective. And it's just such a wonderful feel. How do you feel uh, ship life uh, changed uh, your life or you as a person? So, that's a big one. 
Um, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, I often say that um, some of my favorite conversations, I feel like that's why we're talking. Right yeah. Because we we only cross paths for a very short time, but when you're on a shit hour with somebody, they're welcome in your home anytime for the rest of their life. Yeah. Right. You know, there's, there's that instant you get it feeling that nobody else back home will ever understand. Hmm. Um, I think one of the biggest, two of the biggest things I learned, I think the biggest lessons that are always in, in my, in my head from ships, um, one is that everybody wants the same thing when it all comes down to it. Um, and, and I say that because on a ship, obviously you're surrounded by what, 75, 80 different nationalities all yeah. working together to, you know, have a cohesive unit output of, of this experience for guests. Right. And also to take care of each other. Um, but we're all in the same boat. So uh, uh, we all coexist in that space. And it's a microcosm of the world that's really beautiful because if you if you take that away and you don't have to all work together and have to live right next to each other, then you have these ridiculous things like wars and conflicts and trade wars and things like that where it's just like nonsense competition. Hmm. If you had that happening on a ship, imagine how ridiculous ship life would be. No it, one would have a good time. I mean, what I always say is is that if everybody could experience the collaboration that you have on ships there wouldn't be any wars there wouldn't there wouldn't exactly. be so much conflict because you have to get along you have to learn to live with exactly. different cultures it's so important you're absolutely right and and really when it comes down to it it's not that hard no. that's one of the things like the the realization that we have so much more in common than we do that that differentiates us is is mind-blowing and so easy to understand on a ship everybody wants to have a beer after work and if they don't they just want to be around people right there and, and and one of the things you when you're on a ship is like you don't have to do anything you don't you don't you're not forced to, everybody's working and everybody just wants everybody to have a good time more than anything absolutely um and you learn that because everybody gives you that energy too uh, even if you have differences if you're if you're not going to all do the same thing or think or feel the same thing you don't need to but you focus on the things that you have in common, right? Um, and that that's one of the biggest things I learned on ships for sure. The other is um, coming coming down to just kind of how how people operate and what they they see in life. The first the first um, line I was on was a sort of an upscale line, um, and like a lot of ships, the even I guess probably more at the time than than some lines. This was a sort of a, a an upscale clientele, so it, it, it shifted older, um, the demographic, and it was a lot of retirees, a lot of people who were seeing the world for the first time, or, or um, you know, going to see a place they wanted to see and they never they never got to. Mm. And when we would sing, I, I was you know started doing ships when I was doing an acapella group, and so we would play maybe four nights a week, right? And we'd, we'd walk around and it, sing in a lounge. Sometimes we'd have a main stage show. Sometimes we'd be, you know, just in like a coffee shop singing three songs. Right. right. Um, and we talk, you know, people would come up to us immediately, just flock up to us afterwards and just ask questions. Right. And, and, and like, you know, that, well, that we really liked that song. It was great. What, what, what's the, you, do you know who, uh, who sang that originally? And we'd be like, yeah, we do. And they'd be like, oh, amazing. You know, forties music. Um, and then, uh, you know, they, but more often than not, the, the, the common thread from all of these older folks who they had the, the means to be on a nice cruise ship um, with their family or sometimes when they're by, their, by themselves, you know, they had the means to spend on that. And you could see this twinkle in their eye when they would ask this question all the time, like, yeah aren't you, are you having just the best time? <laughs> and like, you could see from all of these questions, what they were getting at was this sort of marveling at you're 22, 23 at the time, and you're getting to see places and you're just singing 
and you're you're taking a chance and you saw them look back at this and just they had all the money in the world but all they wanted to do was be young right and that more than anything taught me that the the by far the most valuable thing in the whole world is time um and and the people who are in that position would trade everything that they have everything that a lot of people think that they that they really really want the most which is money and a nice house and a nice car and all of this they would trade all that in a second if they could go back to being 22 with the world out in front of them and they could do anything they they, they wanted and take chances mm. right so it really like for me it really solidified this idea of like you know what like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if this goes well it doesn't matter at all the only thing that matters is like don't forget to notice what's happening right now and appreciate everything around you and be grateful for everything around you because you're no matter where you are in life you can do that but particularly now what i ask myself you know 40 years from now what do i want to look back and, and feel I, I hope that I feel like I, I used my time and did the best I could. Absolutely. I think um, I always remember that graduation speech that Baz Luhrmann turned into a song, Wear Sunscreen, where it's uh, enjoy your youth, you'll miss it when it's gone. And I think um, yeah. I think a lot of people that we, we meet at sea have that that spark that you talk about and that if you can take them back to it, even for a like a, a short five, 10 seconds, or be it 45 minutes of a show, it is in incredibly rewarding uh, job yeah. to do, really. Yeah, I agree. I want to move uh, a little bit now on to uh, you as a solo performer. So how long did you spend on ships with the acapella group? I did uh, two contracts, um, six months over, over like about a year and a half. Hmm. Uh, and then when came back to Chicago, um, I started playing in a band uh, with my best friend at the time and a couple other people um, in Chicago. And at the same time, got a job. Eventually, left that that band, got a job in Chicago. Worked in the in the startup world, tech startup. Um, no way. You know, uh, Groupon. Familiar with Groupon? Yes. Yeah. Big time. Yeah, so I worked. I worked at Groupon when there were less than a hundred employees, so nobody wow. even knew what we did. Um, and and I. I you know, had no qualifications to get hired. Some, some, <laughs> some reason hired me. I, it was like, you know, it's like getting a business degree. I was sat like right, like two seats down from the CEO. Um, wow. And um, just got to listen to really smart people make, um, make decisions and make phone calls and um, just picked up a lot. Um, so I, I spent three or four years with them, um, halfway through my tenure with them, I moved down to Nashville, worked, worked from home for them from Nashville, and then started, um, you know, left, left Groupon after that, did one more cruise contract. I did the last acapella contract there, there was. Oh. Um, there aren't any more on, on ships other than guest entertainers. There are still a couple of groups that do stuff now, but there are no resident uh, acapella groups anymore. Um, so I did one more to sort of celebrate I'm switching to music fully now just for myself. Mm. Um, and so I, I went and did the med, which I had never done. Holy <laughs> um, so I got to do that with a, a couple of real good friends of mine. So that was a really good way to kick it off and to save some money. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, from there, yeah, just uh, I've been doing it for about s uh, six or seven years now, um, fully on my own. It's um, it. It's incredible. I, I, I don't want to use the word brave because I know that it's it's something that you have belief in and, you know, there there's great products that you've produced from it. You did find your way back to uh, being at sea. And I know that you, yeah. uh, you know, you've worked as a guest entertainer, which is how we first met each other in the first place. What was it like yeah. going back on your own? Um, to, to go back to ships on my own or... Yeah. Yeah, it was, a, oh my gosh, it's so different. It's so different. Um, and I, I knew that it would be, it was always something I saw when I was doing six month contracts where I was just like, man, that is such a sweet gig. Like <laughs> you fly in, you come in for a week or a week and a half, um, play a few shows and then, and then fly out and, and then you 
can still do stuff on land, which is what I do. Like I play music songwriter festivals. I play private shows, club shows. Um, I do a lot of different things on, on land. So for me, it's the only way I can do ships right now. Um, so it took me a long time to put the show together and then get an agent and then wait and have that agent try to pitch you know, my shows to, to the lines and little by little kind of getting my foot in the door and then trying to keep my foot in the door and try to keep my foot a little farther. Um, <laughs> But uh, I've been, I, my, my goal was to, to get hired to do it once. So the, I, I think I've done like maybe 25 cruises as a guest net now, which is just wow. like, I won my wildest dreams. So I, I've had a blast with it. Um, but uh, I will say to answer your question more directly, like going back on a ship as a guest net is just so different from being there for six months or six month contract. You meet people and the people you meet are then instead like you're, some people are really, really nice and let you in really quickly. Um, it, it still, it still has that feeling of if you're on a ship and, and no matter what you're doing on a ship, like mm. you're welcome to this community, you know, like you, we, we're, we understand each other. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's harder in that, like you meet really great people and you have to say goodbye to them a week later. Right. Instead of like, ah, I just want to be here now. I love this. Um, so it's a different animal. And then you go back to your room and you're, you know, you're on your own. Um, some, some ships are, are really great and you can go to crew bar and, and, and hang out with, with the people you're meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and other ships uh, will have different policies where, you know, you're not allowed to do that. Um, and so either way, it's, it's just, it's a different, it's a different mentality um, to not be thrown into something where you're going to be around those people for a really long time Mm -hmm. you can still create really great relationships and um and and have that that camaraderie and that shared experience but it's just a different it's just a different feel knowing that you're leaving in a week so uh, that part is is for sure a lot different um it's probably the biggest difference yeah yeah. You talk um, in your in your one-man show a lot about being a bit of a hopeless romantic, and that is something which, you know, you tell a, a wonderful story. I'll not give it away in case anybody has the pleasure of seeing you, at see. Um, but how much of an importance is uh, is romance to your storytelling when you're writing? I think it's, a, it's the biggest driver for me. I think I write best when I'm in love. Um, a lot of people write best when, when they're, when they're the opposite, when they're dealing with some, you know, massive heartbreak, I've done that and I can write that song. Um, but for me, I I most want to pick up a guitar when I'm, I'm the happiest and I'm the happiest when I'm in love. Um, so that's when melodies come and soaring things happen in my head. And like, you know, I just, I just want to capture all that energy. And, and more importantly, I want to write something for the person that I'm, that I want to communicate that to, because it's, for me, it's like the only way you can take all of those ideas. If you can say it, you can say, I love you, or you can say how much someone means to you. For me, that always falls short. So I, I want them to, to know the feeling that I'm feeling. Um, and that I think I can only communicate like musically. Um, so for me, it's a big deal. Even moving around on ships a lot is, is meeting somebody in a very short, short window and they're from halfway across the world and you're from halfway across the world and, and um, you cross paths and there's, you know, the world explodes and then it's this, is this going to be a thing that is possible or is this going to be a really great experience that we can take with us? It's really hard to know that. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's definitely an element of, of, of moving around a lot as well. Nice. Um, the, uh, I think it's again, very, um, uh, similar to the musical theater world. You, we, it's when words are no longer enough that that music comes into play and i think that's something really magical it. and you can tell when um you know music is written from that standpoint where it's just got to a point where the the lyric and the melody work so well together it um it feels like they're almost dancing together which is it, yeah. it's such a, a a lovely feeling for a listener and and especially for a musician i i feel like i i can appreciate that 
Um, one sure. thing I would like to ask you about both for the US and um, abroad is um, the favorite places that you've played. So um, we, yeah, where in the US? Let's start for start with that. Yeah, um, in the US, my favorite places to play. I think, um, I think probably two come to mind immediately one is is the the bluebird cafe in nashville nice um so it, it, for people who don't know it, it, the bluebird is this like legendary little hole in the wall um listening room it's, it's like really great songwriters sort of play there every night every so often they'll 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 invite me to play um on uh, usually a sort of a writer's night where there are a few few writers who play some of the heavyweight writers get kind of get their own shows um and and those heavyweight writers can then invite people up to play as well. So um, I've been really lucky. I've played there a bunch of times. Um, it is, you can't fit more than probably about 85 people in the room. So it's this tiny little thing. My favorite part, my favorite kinds of shows you can play there are like, there's this little uh, show that they like to do. They're called in the round where it's basically four songwriters right in the middle of the room and all the audience sits all around. So like everybody's attention is right in the middle of the room. You can hear like a pin drop in that room. So um, I, I, I love that scenario. And it's sort of this, this really hallowed place in Nashville. Um, so it's fun because it doesn't pretend like it's more than it is. It's actually, you would imagine with all the prestige that it has, you would imagine it to be this sort of gilded room with all these. <laughs> yeah. like, it's the absolute opposite. It's, it's, it's across from a huge mall. Uh, it's it's in this tiny little strip mall. And if you drove pa past it, you wouldn't even notice it. It just has an awning that says the Bluebird. It has old church pews for seats and then like regular tables. Um, and, and it just looks like, it doesn't look like anything special, which is why I love it because it, it, like, it really lets the music shine and people who come there will wait in line for literally four hours to get in the door. Um, so the people who wanna be in those seats want to be in those seats sure. uh, and they're there to hear you um so i love that sort of attention the first time you play in that room it's like okay you are listening to everything i do so <laughs> i cannot make a mistake super no pressure super scary. um but then once you kind of get used to that and it's like a listening room you're like no you can you can even focus on what you're doing even more because you're not being interrupted by anything um, so I love that place. Um, there's some really great spots in Chicago. I love to play over and over. Um, there's a place called Uncommon Ground, which is kind of a similar kind of listening room style. Um, uh, I actually really love playing. Um, there's this there's this place down in Florida called Harry A's, um, and it is uh, in uh, Saint George Island, Florida. Right. Um, so it's right right on um, in, in, right near the the Panhandle. Uh, south of Tallahassee and every year uh, pretty much every year I, I, I take part in a festival that raises money for a charity called Rock by the Sea um, and Rock by the Sea donates a bunch of money to um, uh, pediatric cancer research and some libraries in the Gulf Coast and, and a lot of kind of wow. uh, really wonderful um, uh, philanthropic uh, causes and it gets a bunch of songwriters from all over the place down into this one pl place for, for a weekend. And people come from all over the place, rent a house on the island. And for two and a half days, no, I think it's three and a half days, we just have an absolute blast. And this, this meeting place is Harry A's. And it's just a, a community of really generous, genuine people who come, have fun, drink everything that, that they can drink, eat everything <laughs> they can and all of that money is donated. So it's, it's just, um, everybody's there to have a good time and everybody is really supportive and can't be more enthusiastic about music. Um, so I love to play there. Um, that's every year in May. And then unfortunately we weren't able to do it this year. Yeah. So instead this year we, we had rock by the stream. instead of rock <laughs> by the stream. Um, So we still did it online. That's still nice. Still raised 40 grand, even though it was online. Wow. So it was really, um, and then internationally, I, one of my favorite places in the whole world to play music is um, in the middle of the ocean. Um, I love going out on, on a deck on a ship um, and playing where there is absolutely nothing around. 
Um, and that could be by myself. It could be for a, a, a few, a few guests. It could be with a few friends who are on for, who are uh, part of the crew. It, it could be to no one. Like I said, it's just nice. that vent is just, you can't beat it. They, I, I, it gives you clarity. It gives you calm and, um, whether you want something to sound good or you're just trying to sound something out and write something, it's that's one of my favorite places to play in the whole world. Amazing. If you are on a deserted island and you can only take three albums with you um, and they can't be your own, um, what would you take with you? That's amazing. I love that question. Um, I can answer that pretty quickly, actually. Um, I think number one would be a... a an album called Traffic and Weather, um, which is by a band called Fountains of Wayne. Yes, um, yeah. Yeah, so you know, you, you probably saw them in the news recently. A guy named Adam Schlesinger actually just passed away like yeah. four weeks ago from uh, from COVID-19. Um, but he was the bassist and one of the lead songwriters of that group. That's been my favorite band since high school. I, I love that band. Uh, a lot of people know them from Stacy's Mom, which, yes. by the way, is an amazing song. Um, <laughs> but if you only know it from know of them through that, you could be like, oh, it's just like a you know a gimmicky band who wrote like a funny song. They are a funny band. They did write a funny song, but that song is so right in the wheelhouse of everything else they write. <laughs> They're brilliant writers. They've had two musicals between the the two writers. They've had two musicals on Broadway. They wrote the theme song for that theme you that thing you do that. Um, that fit like 60s um, uh, rock band music, uh, sort of musical movie, yeah. Tom Hanks. They did, um, they, I mean, they, their writing credits are absolutely bonkers, but they, they're incredible uh, uh, writers and that transcends into really great music. Um, they, they have, I think, five albums, six albums maybe, and I, that, that's my favorite of their albums. Nice. Um, and it, and so I would definitely take that with me. Um, I'd probably take the miseducation of Lauren Hill. Um, cause I think it's one of the best albums that's ever been made. Hmm. Um, and, uh, what's one more I would take. I actually have a, I have a list of that exact question for like, <laughs> thing of like, if I had, I, I do it with seven. Um, so, uh, I call it top seven, but the idea is if I had, if I had seven things to bring, on a, on a deserted island and I could only choose seven for the rest of my life, what would they be? So the other one I would probably do, I mean, if I have to choose one from all these, oh man, uh, I might do, I might do rock in the suburbs, Ben Folds. Nice. What a choice. That, that, that album gives and gives and gives. Every song is amazing. Um, <laughs> he's a melodic genius. So amazing. I love that would it. Probably be it. How if about you, you? Oh, this is, this is a question. I, I'm a big Tom Waits fan. So I'd probably Great. take uh, Closing Time by Tom Waits. Um, what else do I love? I mean, there's so many. I, I'm, I'm setting myself up. It's a hard question. I love Randy Newman. Um, who uh, else do I love? Absolutely. Bowie. His, uh, his, his new album, oh, my God. It's, it's so good. Oh. Um, what's the um, My Wandering Boy? Yeah. That song kills me kills me i can't listen to it without crying he's a lyrical genius it's just and yeah. again the way they're interwoven is is amazing i mean even things like uh, queen uh electrolyte orchestra it they're all a little bit you know kind of earlier on but that's that's okay. what i do good songwriting is good songwriting that's my favorite thing about songwriting right like if you write a good song you could you could present it in any number of ways and even if you don't like the way it's presented yeah. you can hear how good the song is like so true good stuff. so true now if you could give your 18 year old self some advice knowing what you know now what would you say to him i would say calm down <laughs> everything is going to be okay that's nice I like it. Um, I've been listening to Play Clothes on Spotify. Nice. Really, really like it. Um, oh, thanks. I appreciate it. Is there anything that you would like to uh, plug? Obviously, I know that you're on the World Wide Web and social media. And uh, yeah, tell us where we can mm -hmm. listen to you. Absolutely. You can listen to me 
probably anywhere you can find music. So Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Amazon, you can listen uh, on YouTube. Um, we've got accounts everywhere you can think of. Um, I have an Instagram account that I take pictures while I travel around, um, obviously taking a lot of pictures in Northbrook for the last two months. But other than that, there are a lot of shots from all over the world. Um, so I like doing that. Um, the biggest, I have a, a, a Patreon that I, I, I launched in August of last year. So it's almost it's coming up on a year um, where I do a lot of exclusive stuff, um, shows and writings and early recordings, stuff like that. Um, got a really great community of people who um, love traveling and are, are into my music. So uh, if you like both of those things by chance, check it out at patreon.mikemens or patreon.com slash Mike Mentz. Um, and then, yeah, I've got so much stuff coming up. So like I, I just started really a few months ago, about three months ago, I started releasing um, uh, some music videos and some singles. I have, I'm scheduling things out right now. I have uh, a, at least one big release, whether that is a single, a music video, or an entire album, or sometimes a documentary episode that I've that I've put together. Amazing. I have at least one of those uh, a month for the next two and a half years scheduled right now, wow. um, because of I've just been making stuff and making stuff and making stuff. So, um, what, the, the stuff I'm most proud of is the stuff that's that's just coming out right now. I'm I'm really excited. I took a film crew from um, Los Angeles. And uh, I, a few friends, and we went to Thailand for a month and filmed uh, a series of music videos for an album that I have coming out called Souvenir. Right. Um, so we traveled around for a month, filmed all these music videos and all, and all these documentary episodes. Um, so all that music and all that video is just kind of going to trickle out for the next it's know, exciting. Like year and a half. I'm psyched, yeah. <laughs> and my final question, thank you so much for doing this, Mike. The final question that I ask everybody, and uh, I think it's a really nice way to end, is what is happiness to you? Oh, man. Hmm. Happiness is, is gratitude. Happiness is being grateful for what you have and what you are. Behind the Pross is a podcast hosted by Buzzsprout, with musical thanks to Audio Jungle and Itan Epstein Music. The artwork was by Jared Page of Stagey Pagey, and if you wish to donate to the cause, paypal.me forward slash Gary Jerry. Any inquiries about Behind the Pross podcast, please contact behindthepross at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.